Discord. All right, guys, so adrenal gland disorders. I love doing farm and medicine at the same time. I feel like everything's a review. It's awesome. So first we're going to talk about adrenal insufficiency, which is a decrease in the production of what? Is it ACTH? Maybe, but not necessarily. ACTH stimulates production of? Not of ADH. ACTH and ADH? Of cortisol, right? So adrenal insufficiency is a decrease in the production of cortisol, right? And it could be caused by a decrease in production of ACH, in which case it's what type of adrenal insufficiency? Primary or secondary? If it's due to low ACTH, it's secondary. Yeah. So, and if it's not due to low ACTH, if it's due to something else, then it's primary, right? So if the ACTH is high, it's primary. If the ACTH is low, it's secondary, right? When it comes to adrenal insufficiency. So if you have low levels of cortisol, the main symptoms is going to be what? Cortisol plays a role in what? What does it do? Sugar, so you have hypoglycemia, yes. What else? Hyperkalemia? So that depends though. So if you have if you have primary adrenal insufficiency, then you have all three layers of your adrenal gland being affected. Right? In which case your aldosterone levels are gonna be low. Right. Which means you're not gonna retain sodium and you're gonna release too much potassium and you're gonna be hypokalemic in primary. In secondary, you don't have that problem, all right? That's why in primary, you need to give them renalocorticoids, which is fludrocortisone, and in secondary, you don't. You just give them hydrocortisone, all right? In primary, you have to give them both. But what other signs and symptoms are we associated to low levels of cortisol? Hypotension, good. So hypotension, hypoglycemia are the big ones. Obviously, that can make patients present in various different ways, depending on the extent. They can have neurologic symptoms, stupor, coma. It just depends on how severe they are when they present to you. So if they have, uh, if they have primary, they, we also said that they're going to have no ability to retain sodium, right? So they're going to have what? They have no ability, so it's going to be high So, right, aldosterone retains sodium. If you don't have aldosterone, you secrete sodium. Right. And then it does what to potassium? Hyperkalemia. right? So if you have low aldosterone, you're not going to retain sodium and you're not going to excrete potassium. Right. Okay. So symptoms are going to depend. Um, be careful when you guys are watching these symptoms. Another thing to, to take into account is, so you see weakness, vomiting, diarrhea, all these things are true for regardless of whether you have a primary or secondary cause, because low cortisol levels can do that. But uh, a little bit of caution with increased skin pigmentation, um, because increased skin pigmentation is associated to high levels of ACTH, because ACTH stimulates melanocytes and stimulates the uh, 
can, can be broken down or changed into melanocyte stimulating hormone and can stimulate uh, hyperpigmentation. So yes, that's a symptom of adrenal sufficiency, but if you don't have high ACTH, you're not gonna have that particular symptom. So in primary, if you have a problem in the adrenal glands and your pituitary is working fine and you have high ACTH, you will also have the hyperpigmentation symptoms. But if it's secondary and the problem is too little ACTH production, you're not gonna have hyperpigmentation of the skin. Does that make sense? You guys all got that? Yes? One more time. One more time? All right. So very, very important to distinguish because you're gonna get this on the pants, on my exam, everywhere between primary and secondary adrenal insufficiency. So primary, the problem is in the what? In the adrenal glands. Which layer of the adrenal glands? Usually all of them, right? So you're gonna have a decreased production of what hormones? So not ADH, aldosterone and cortisol, both, okay? You also have a decreased production of the sex hormones, but we're not, we don't focus on those. They never test you on them. And it's when, when you're having hypotension and coma and stupor and people are dying, it's at least your concern. <laughs> All right? So in primary, you're not producing aldosterone or cortisol. In secondary, you're also not producing cortisol, but you are producing aldosterone. So in primary, low aldosterone means that you cannot reabsorb sodium. So you're going to have hyponatremia. And it means you cannot excrete potassium, which means you're going to have your, your pituitary's response to this is going to be to do what? Secrete more ACTH. Okay? And by secreting more ACTH, you're also going to increase melanocyte stimulating hormone, and it's going to affect your melanocytes, and you're going to have hyperpigmentation in primary. In secondary, the problem is in the so your AC, you're in the pituitary, so your ACTH levels are going to be low. ACTH levels are low. You do not have any melanocyte stimulation, so you do not have hyperpigmentation. Aldosterone is affected or unaffected? Unaffected. Unaffected. So you may have hypotension. You may have um, hypoglycemia, but you are not going to have hyponatremia or hyperkalemia. Does that make sense? Yes. We'll do questions uh, at some point, so that'll help. Um, so what else is important here? Uh, this is pretty good. We'll go to the next slide. Um, so this is usually presenting as an emergency condition because if you have uh, an abrupt decrease in cortisol levels, an abrupt decrease in blood pressure, an abrupt decrease in glucose levels, patients usually present in, um, a lot of times they present in a they, they can't really give you a history, so they present with altered mental status. And usually it's hard to kind of get to this diagnosis because you have a patient with altered mental status who's hypotensive, you think they're in shock, you're giving them fluids, you're doing all these things, and the patient's not getting any better. A great imitator. Huh? They call it the great imitator? Great, they, they call a lot of things a great imitator. <laughs> this is one of them. I think they call lupus the great imitator. I think they call, they call a couple of them. Uh, I think uh, one of the STDs, uh, syphilis probably, because it has all like the neurologic, symptoms, so a couple of things that they call great imitators, this is one of them. So a lot of times it's a misdiagnosis and 
patients usually don't make it because it's hard to suspect this condition because it's rare um, and because there's so many other things that you're thinking about and worried about before you kind of get to this point where you're like, oh, maybe it's adrenal insufficiency, right? Same thing with thyroid issues. Unless the patient has a known history of thyroid issues, if they're presenting to you with myxedema crisis or thyroid storm, a lot of times people are like, what the hell is going on? They're doing all sorts of other tests to evaluate them, and that's something that doesn't immediately pop up. So there are things you should always keep in the back of your mind, but it's very easy to miss these. So usually presents um, acutely and emergently. We already talked about primary and secondary, so I'm not going to go over it again. Um, Primary is also referred to as Addison's disease, right? So primary disorders are usually Addison's, and the most common cause of Addison's disease or primary um, adrenal sufficiency is autoimmune conditions. Uh, another common cause that they will test you on is withdrawal of steroids. So patients who've been on chronic steroid therapy and are discontinued on steroids and not tapered uh, can present in an adrenal crisis. So you should know that um, and be ready for questions about that because they will be tested. Patients who have their adrenal glands removed obviously are going to have hypercortisolism. They're not going to produce um, aldosterone either, right, because they don't have adrenal glands. Why would, you remove, why would you remove somebody's adrenal glands? Cancer. Uh, maybe they have like a pheochromocytoma and you do an adrenalectomy and you remove the tumor and you damage it. Um, so couple different reasons, but most people have their adrenal glands. Also, people who are born without adrenal glands due to congenital uh, defects. We are not going to test you on congenital defects of, um, of uh, adrenal crisis or adrenal insufficiency, uh, but the one that they do typically test is 21-hydroxylase deficiency, um, which you guys are going to cover when you do your pediatric modules, um, but we will not test you on this in this endocrine module. So signs and symptoms, we've also talked about. Uh, so usually very sudden onset and a lot of times results in death, very high mortality. Uh, patients can have fever, very, very, very high fevers, hypotension. Uh, the hypotension is not going to respond to the typical treatments that you do for, hy for hypotension. So um, that's an important consideration. Refractory hypotension, you should always think about adrenal insufficiency. We talked about the specific signs for primary adrenal sufficiency, uh, which is the high ACTH, the melanocyte stimulating hormone level, um, and also not here is the hyponatremia and hyperkalemia, which you should also keep in mind for primary. All right, so how do you diagnose it? What tests do you do? Obviously, you want to know what the cortisol levels are and you want to know what the ACTH levels are, because that's going to give you your primary, huh? Your primary versus secondary, yeah. So if you get your, if you got your cortisol and ACTH, you can determine primary versus secondary, right? Um, the cosentropin stimulation test, it can be used to confirm your diagnosis. So if the patient, um, if, if you give the patient ACTH, um, the response should be what? Increased cortisol, right? If you have a, uh, an issue in your adrenal glands and your adrenal glands aren't working and you give them ACTH, 
they're going to have high ACTH, but usually if, if it's a primary issue, the adrenal glands aren't working right, nothing's going to happen, right? If the problem is a secondary issue, which means that the problem is what? The pituitary is not secreting ACTH. If you give them ACTH, the adrenal glands will respond by producing cortisol. Okay, so yes, ACTH alone with cortisol levels can give you a diagnosis. Um, a confirmatory test would be a cosentropin simulation test. And cosentropin is ACTH. All right. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about hyponatremia, hyperkalemia. So you want to get a uh, BMP, so you can get all of these levels. Not going to be super important for my test. I'm not going to ask you, like, you know, you need to order a BMP, but if you ever get a case in an OSCE or anything like that, this is why you'd be ordering this. And that's pretty much it. I told you guys I'm not going to text you, uh, test you on the antibodies associated with the, um, uh, with the congenital disorders. They're not commonly tested, um, and you guys are going to cover them in peats quite a bit, so I'm not going to go into it. X-ray and EKG, that just depends on where you think the patient's problem is. So if the patient's having arrhythmias, you may want to order an EKG. If they're complaining of any uh, type of arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats, palpitations, in addition to this, you may want to order an EKG. Um, if you think that they're having a, um, a problem in the adrenal glands, such as uh, a tumor, a malignancy in the adrenal glands causing them to fail, then an abdominal CT scan might be indicated. So these tests are not going to be specifically used all the time to diagnose a condition, but they're just tests that you may consider ordering depending on the unique presentation of your patient. So for my exam, not extremely important to know this, but clinically speaking, it is. Um, but for my exam specifically, ACTH and cortisol levels, um, knowing what the electrolyte abnormality should be, and knowing what a cosentropin simulation test is and what the results mean, all of that is going to be tested on my exam. So this is another slide specifically dedicated to the cosentropin test. So um, you administer the ACTH, you measure the levels. Um, and normally you would expect that after you administer more ACTH, cortisol levels are going to increase. And if they don't increase after you administer it, then this confirms the fact that your adrenal glands are not responding to ACTH. Obviously, if your patients are taking steroids, they're taking synthetic uh, forms of cortisol, they're going to have to discontinue them because it's going to alter your results because they're going to be high relative to the, uh, due to the medications that you're taking. The list of differentials is extremely wide because the presentation is kind of very vague. Um, so if the patients are presenting with hypotension, anything that can cause hypotension, right? So sepsis, um, shock, cardiovascular problems, CHF. Um, electrolyte abnormalities can be caused by a million different things. So it's, it's, this is essentially just to tell you guys that this is a very, the symptoms presenting with um, uh, adrenal insufficiency are very, very wide ranging and very easy to miss. 
and any symptom can really be a symptom of adrenal sufficiency. Uh, but what you're really looking for is a constellation of the symptoms, right? So you need to get multiple of those symptoms, and typically when they give you a vignette, they're going to give you the sodium levels, they're going to give you the potassium levels, they're going to give you um, the skin changes, the darkening of the skin, and they're going to give you that it's not responsive to fluids, it's not responsive to suppressors, dopamine's not doing anything, and that's what kind of pushes you in the direction of adrenal sufficiency. Um, and you guys need to get really good at this because the questions are going to be multi-layered questions. So you're going to have the presentation of the patient, and it's going to ask you about the results of one of the tests. So you need to be able to know the diagnosis. Is it primary or secondary? And based on if it is primary or secondary, what the test result is going to be, or what the treatment is going to be. So the questions are going to be a little bit hard for these. Um, so it would be very easy to get it wrong if you don't have that well-grounded. But we'll do a bunch of practice questions on them. So treatment, uh, we already covered in farm, which is awesome. So in acute episodes, in acute adrenal insufficiency, patients who are presenting in shock, extremely low blood pressure, neurologic symptoms, altered mental status, uh, they're going to get IV hydrocortisone. Patients who are stable and have secondary uh, adrenal insufficiency can be treated with what? Corticosteroids. So, glucocorticoids, right? Perfect. So, if it's secondary, the problem is due to the pituitary, their adrenal glands are fine, they are still producing aldosterone. So all they need you to do is replace their cortisol. You can give them the, the prednisone, dexamethasone, whatever. If they have a primary issue, you need to add fludrocortisone to their treatment. Not important acutely in the acute setting, but very important for chronic management for the patients. All right? So we already talked about the prognosis. Most of these people die because the diagnosis isn't quickly established and um, they decompensate very quickly. But if you do intervene quickly and you do treat them with the steroids, they usually respond relatively quickly to the treatment. So identif early identification and treatment is super important. All right, so next we're going to talk about Cushing syndrome, which is the opposite of what we were talking about adrenal insufficiency. Instead of too little cortisol, you have too much cortisol. Sorry, um, would you recommend someone coming in shopping if you don't have to do all these tests and figure out what's going on? Give them steroids? So would you recommend just giving somebody steroids when they come in in shock? So like, oh, this dude's like alter mental status, their blood pressure's low, let's just give them prednisone. Can you? Yes. Is it done routinely? No. I was talking to Deano about it. He told me in Cuba they would always, like when somebody would come in like hypotensive alter mental status, they would like load them up on steroids before doing anything. Uh, you know, fluids, steroids, and so. So, so yes, very, but the, the other problem too is, most of the time, this, the benefit of giving this, if they were having an adrenal sufficiency crisis, it's gonna save their life. The other problem becomes, you're putting, what if they're hypotensive because they're septic, because they have an infection? and you're giving them a bunch of prednisone and you're weakening, weakening their immunity in response to other treatments that you're giving them, so, yeah. The antibiotic would, wouldn't 
it would be less effective. So, and you're talking about like what's more common, somebody coming in septic from a pneumonia or UTI, or somebody having an adrenal crisis that never knew that they had adrenal sufficiency. So that's why, although yeah, it could be life-saving to do that, I don't think it's necessarily a good practice to give people who are in shock steroids routinely. Um, that's just my thoughts. So Cushing's is gonna be too much cortisol. So too much cortisol is going to bless you. Um, it's going to give you, bless you again. It's going to give you high blood pressure. It's going to give you high levels of glucose, so the opposite of hypocortisolism. Uh, it's going to give you weight gain. Patients are going to have obesity. Uh, because they're having the obesity and rapid onset weight gain, they get stretch marks. Buffalo hump, moon faces, all those, all those good things. So most of the time, this is caused by Cushing's disease, and Cushing's disease is specifically related to what? To the pituitary gland. So it's hypercortisolism due to a pituitary adenoma, or a hypersecreting pituitary ACTH, right? Um, if they have hypercortisolism and the problem is not in the pituitary gland, they just call it what? Cushing syndrome. Cool. So very important, when you see Cushing's disease, they're referring to a pituitary cause. When you see Cushing syndrome, they're referring to hypercortisolism of another cause. So sometimes, the, the most common things that you're gonna see with hypercortisolism is gonna be either it's in the pituitary, so it's Cushing's disease, it's in the adrenal glands, in which case it's Cushing syndrome due to an adrenal secreting tumor, okay? Or you have some kind of malignancy that's producing ACTH. The most common malignancy producing ACTH is small cell carcinoma, um, most commonly in the lung, okay? This is really important because when you guys, for Cushing's, this is probably the most complicated one as far as diagnosis goes for testing. Um, for Cushing's, you're gonna need to identify, the way they like to ask the questions is, you have all these lab values, which we're gonna cover, what test do you do next? It might be an abdominal CT, it might be a brain MRI, um, and so it just depends. Or it might be a chest x-ray or a chest CT. So it, it, if you get to the point where you think it's adrenal, you do abdominal. If you get to the point where you think it's pituitary, you do a brain MRI. If you think it's uh, malignancy in the lung, you do a chest CT. So getting to that point and then deciding what test is the best test to do is how they like to ask these questions. And it's really easy to mess all of that up because if you one domino is not right in your brain, everything just like falls apart. And we're gonna hopefully, hopefully make sure that the dominoes are all good. Um, so Cushing syndrome, this is essentially covering all the symptoms we talked about. Um, let me see if I missed any. I think they get fractures too because high high cortisol levels over time um, they typically develop osteoporosis, osteopenia, fractures. I don't see that on here, but. That happens too. Um, but yeah, moon faces, the buffalo hump, they also like to call that uh, like a something fat pad, a cervical, cervical something fat pad. They, they try to do different things to not say buffalo hump. Um, but if they describe anything that sounds like a lot of fat accumulating on the back of the neck, that's a buffalo hump. 
I think they call it like a dorsal cervical fat pattern, something like that. They come up with all sorts of weird names to not say buffalo hump. Um, so, pendulous abdomen, striae, and the obesity is usually centered around the trunk and abdomen, um, and usually doesn't affect as much the extremities. They like to use that description as well. All right, so this is where things get a little crazy. All right, so we're gonna explain this like 200 times. So the whole problem with Cushing's disease is what? Too much cortisol. So the first thing you need to establish is what their cortisol levels are. How do you do that? Usually with a 24-hour urine collection for cortisol, all right? So if the cortisol is low, then that tells you what? They don't have Cushing's disease or syndrome or anything. Cortisol's fine, right? So that, that part's easy. If the cortisol's high, they have hypercortisolism. It could be for any reason. It could be because they have a tumor in the brain, a tumor in the adrenals, a tumor in the lungs. They're taking steroids. Um, or having a really rough day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, what else do you need to order to help you out here? Before that, ACTH. Okay. ACTH is important because if they have high cortisol and they have high ACTH, then what's the problem? Pituitary, or, or because the the tumors of the lungs. The way they work is by secreting ACTH. Right. So if it's high, it's telling you that the problem is either in the pituitary or a tumor somewhere else. So it can be a mass somewhere. Usually in the lungs, but a mass somewhere else. Okay? Um, but not anywhere else, because the, the problem is that so the, the malignant ACTH production usually does not produce negative feedback to the pituitary gland. So if your lung is secreting a bunch of ACTH, it doesn't usually produce negative feedback in the pituitary, so your ACTH levels are high. If, right, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. If you do the ACTH levels and they're low, then that means that the problem is where? The gland itself. So you have some kind of adenoma in the adrenal glands that's hypersecreting um, uh, cortisol, which is producing a negative feedback to the pituitary, which is causing low levels of ACTH. So if you get high cortisol and low ACTH, you know the problem is in the adrenal gland. And you can say, all right, cool, I'm gonna do a CT, or they might ask you what, do you, what, surgery, what procedure are you gonna do or what treatment, and you're gonna say, I'm gonna re remove the adrenal mass, whatever the case is. So that's easy. It gets complicated when you have high cortisol and high ACTH, okay? That's what you just said. Yes. Everything you just said is in reference to both being elevated. Okay, and then if it's, and then you said if the ACTH are low, but the cortisol is high, then it's a problem with the gland. So we're either going to see to further investigate or what's your 
Right. So it depends on what the question is asking you. That's just that was me giving you an example. So yeah, if your cortisol is high and ACTH is low, then you know the problem is in the adrenal glands. Right. It's hypersecretion of cortisol from the adrenal glands, and it's causing a negative feedback to the pituitary, so ACTH is low. So a question might ask you, they might give you those lab values and say, uh, which of the following is the best next step? And they might have a pituitary MRI, or a brain MRI, chest CT, abdominal CT. The answer in that case would be abdominal CT. Or they might say, which of the following is the next best uh, treatment approach? And they might say, transphenoidal surgery for removal of pituitary mass, um, uh, a lung biopsy, uh, it might say adrenalectomy, whatever the case is. And then in that case, it would be an adrenalectomy, but you'd remove the adrenal mass, right? Right. So that's how they kind of ask you the questions. But if they're both high, cortisol and ACTH, then you don't know exactly what's going on yet, because it could be a pituitary problem, or it could be a ACTH secreting tumor somewhere else in the body. All right? So when that happens, you need to do um, a dexamethasone test, okay? And there's, there's a low-dose test, and there's a high-dose test. Okay. Low dose test means that you're giving the patients a small amount of um, the steroid, okay, um, a small amount of dexamethasone, and a small amount of dexamethasone should do what to ACTH levels? No, it should decrease, right? You're giving them more cortisol, more steroid, so it should decrease the ACTH levels. If that happens, if you do a low-dose test and that happens, then usually it's, it's a hyper, the patient's having a hypercortisol state, but it's not usually related to any kind of Cushing's-related pathology. If a low dose of dexamethasone fixes that, then usually it's not related to that. It's related to some other um, transient increase in cortisol levels or something not related to an ACTH-secreting tumor or an adrenal mass-secreting ACTH. Some other transient issue, it can effectively rule out uh, Cushing syndrome, if a low-dose steroid test fixes your issue for you. Okay. If you do a low-dose test and they both are still high, okay, then in that case, you are concerned about either a pituitary problem still or a um, ectopic ACTH tumor. So you do a high-dose steroid test, okay, a high-dose dexamethasone suppression test, okay? Everybody with me so far? Yes. Okay. A high dose of dexamethasone, if the problem is in the pituitary gland, and you give a high enough dose, it will cause the pituitary gland to decrease the levels of ACTH. So if you administer a very high dose of steroids, the pituitary gland will respond to a negative feedback. Right. Okay? It won't do it for the low dose, but it will with the high dose suppression test. Okay? So if that's the case, if you give a high dose and the ACTH goes down, you can reliably say, hey, this is probably Cushing's disease, it's a pituitary tumor. If you give them a high dose steroids and nothing happens, then you are suspecting another source of ACTH production, like a small cell carcinoma of the lung, which is the most common one that they test on. So the reason for that is that that ACTH being produced in the lung is not going to have a negative feedback because it's not your pituitary tissue. It's not meant. It's an abnormal production of ACTH. So it's not going to respond to any kind of feedback, whether highly stimulated, low stimulation, no matter how much cortisol you give them, the tumor is going to keep secreting ACTH no matter what. 
Is everybody with me so far? Yes. Yeah? All right, cool. Um, so hold on, let me see. Because I put it a bunch of different ways to help. So Cushing syndrome, um, and this is just telling you what the results are going to be from the low-dose or high-dose test. So in Cushing syndrome, caused by an adrenal tumor, uh, no matter how much steroids you give, it doesn't really matter. And the reason for that is that the ACTH levels are already low. Right? So you give them more steroids, all you're going to do is, if anything, bring them lower. So it's not really causing any kind of change because you're just secreting a bunch of cortisol, right, from the tumor. So usually you don't really do, you don't have to do that test. You can get to this diagnosis just on the, um, the ACTH levels alone. So Cushing's syndrome related to an ACTH tumor, you can give them a low-dose or high-dose dexamethasone, nothing changes because the tumor does not respond to negative feedback. It's going to keep producing ACTH. If you have Cushing syndrome, which is a pituitary adenoma that is secreting too much ACTH, it does not respond to a low-dose dexamethasone challenge, but it does respond to a high-dose dexamethasone challenge. All right? Okay. Cool. So that's another way. What's up? And there's no ACTH like related, like like the ACTH related. Um yeah, cosentropin. Cosentropin. But that wouldn't help us here because you're trying to, the problem is high cortisol. If you give them that, you're just going to produce more cortisol. So what you're doing is you're trying to give the steroid to bring that, to see what happens to the ACTH level, to see if it's responding to it or not responding to it. I guess what I'm saying is that, like, in PTH, like, if you have a uh, cancer that's producing the PTH, you can do the PTHRP-related peptides. So what I'm saying is, like, for... Oh, so what he's saying is, is no there a ACTH, test you can do? There's not an ACTH-related peptide. There's not. Yeah. Because the ACTH being produced, that gets produced by the tumors, exactly. is extremely similar to the endogenous ACTH. So there's not any kind of related peptide or test that you can do that I'm aware of, or that's in the textbook, to differentiate... Is it a tumor? So he's asking, like, oh, for um, for patients who have hypercalcemia due to parathyroid-related uh, peptide, can you do a test like that to test for malignancy? Not necessarily. Um, so this is another one, um, another way to look at it, but we're going to skip over this one and go to this one because this one's, I think, another way that's more visual, and I think you guys might like studying from this one more. Does somebody have a question? Yeah. yeah um, so for the... So hypercortisolism. The thing is that they don't really refer to these as primary or secondary because the problem is cortisol secretion. So I guess technically a uh, primary issue, yeah, it's gonna be in the adrenal glands. So it would be primary because it's being produced in the adrenal glands. And that's how we would be able to differentiate so the test would be no change for both the adrenal tumor and the ACT producing tumor like ectopic. That, well, that doesn't really help you because there's no change in that, but there's also no change in, in ectopic. It right. doesn't matter if you're doing... Tell which so the way you tell the difference is because in in a primary, in, in an adrenal hypersecreting tumor, the ACTH is low. Okay, that was That's it. You look at that alone and you're saying, hey, but for some reason, when it comes to this, they don't really refer to it as primary or secondary. They refer to it as Cushing's disease or syndrome. Okay. And I think that's because there's such an emphasis on locating the tumor that they kind of laid it out that way. But yeah, technically, that would be a primary issue because the issue is cortisol and the cortisol is being secreted in the adrenals. And if you have an adrenal uh, mass hypersecreting, that's a primary issue. Yeah. So this 
flow charts is extremely helpful. Um, so first thing you do is you check 24-hour cortisol. If it's lower normal, they ain't got Cushing's. If it's high, they have some kind of Cushing's problem. It could be, what is that? Pomegranate? No. What did I say? Dog water. <laughs> so if, if their cortisol is high, they have some kind of Cushing's problem. An ectopic mass, a pituitary tumor, or an adrenal tumor. Any one of them. So what you do next is you check the ACTH. If it's low, they got Cushing syndrome because of an adrenal tumor, and you're good. You're done. You do a CT or MRI of the adrenals, you remove the mass in the adrenals, you're good to go. If it's still high, you do a high-dose uh, high dexamethasone suppression test. If you suppress it, it's a pituitary problem. If you don't suppress it, it's an ectopic source. If it's an ectopic source, you do a chest CT to look for a small cell carcinoma. If you suppress it and it's pituitary, you can do a brain MRI. Yeah, this, this bypasses the low dose. This bypasses the low dose because at the end of the day, the only time you really do the low dose is to check. If, if the low dose is negative, what it's pretty much, if you do a low dose and it's suppressed, what it's pretty much telling you is they don't have any Cushing's problems. It's, it's, it's telling you you have a transient increase in cortisol for any other factor that's not related to um, Cushing's. So you're essentially ruling out Cushing's by doing a low-dose test and it working and dropping ACTH. So what differentiates the two is a high-dose test. The high-dose dexamethasone suppression test. If ACTH is low, you know it's adrenal. If ACTH is high, you do a high-dose dexamethasone test. Yes. Is anybody confused by this? No? Is there a time frame for this? After you administer? There's absolutely a time frame. I don't know. There is absolutely a very specific regimen X amount of hours after you test, yes, there is. I don't know what the numbers are. I think it's greater than 100 in a 24-hour period. They collect the urine over 24 hours and sample it, and it's, I think it's over 100. So your differential for hypercortisolism is anything that can elevate your cortisol levels, um, alcoholism, pregnancy, critically ill, chronic steroid use. So treatment depends on where it is. We've already talked about this. If it's Cushing's disease, transphenoidal surgery. If it's Cushing syndrome due to an adrenal mass, you can remove the mass or resect the mass. And if it's due to a tumor in the lung or an exogenous tumor, you find the tumor and you remove the tumor, if you can. So obviously, if you don't treat these people, they're going to become extremely hypertensive. They're going to end up with cardiovascular disease. They're going to become diabetic. They're going to have all the complications associated with diabetes and high blood pressure vision changes, stroke, MI, peripheral neuropathies, 
renal failure, all that good stuff. Everybody doing good so far? So hyperaldosteronism. Um, so this is the opposite of what other condition we talked about. <laughs> of what? But did we already talk about a condition called hypoaldosteronism. We called it we called it Addison's disease, which is primary adrenal insufficiency. Secondary adrenal insufficiency is not like hyperaldosteronism, or not the opposite, because in secondary adrenal insufficiency, aldosterone's not affected, right? But in primary adrenal insufficiency, due to an issue in the adrenal glands, aldosterone is affected, right? So if you have too much aldosterone, you're going to retain too much, too much sodium, okay? Your blood pressure is going to be too high. And your potassium level is going to be too low, right? So hypernatremia, hypokalemia, hypertension. Hypertension that is severely drug resistant, or is severe or drug resistant. So usually they're going to give you a patient that has, um, whenever they give you a patient with hypertension and they're not responding to treatment, they're asking you about one of three things. And it's usually renal artery stenosis, hyperaldosteronism, or fuel chromocytoma. So it's patients who are not responding to like two, three medications and their blood pressure is still super high, you need to suspect one of those secondary causes of hypertension um, that's not just primary uh, primary hypertension, okay? And the three usually are aldosteronism, uh, fuel chromocytoma, or renal artery stenosis. Those are the three they like to test on. So hypokalemia um, and can have hypernatremia as well. So the other name for primary aldosteronism is called Kahn syndrome, usually due to hyperplasia of the adrenal glands. Everything else on here is not extremely important for exam or really clinical purposes, to be honest with you. It's just information about the disease. So signs and symptoms, we already talked about refractory hypertension. That's going to be how these patients present on a vignette. Um, or they may give you some kind of adrenal mass and the symptoms. They, it could be either one. It depends on how they phrase the question. But it's going to be patients who are on multiple medications and not responding to hypertension. Patients who have an adrenal mass and are having symptoms of high blood pressure. In any of those patients, you should suspect, um, you should suspect aldosteronism. Obviously, if they give you the lab values, and they're telling you that these patients have hypernatremia, hypokalemia, then that also clues you into diagnosis. Abnormal EKG findings would be what? U-waves. U-waves, right? Hypokalemia. U-waves, flattening of the T-waves, those are all things that you would expect to see on EKG. So you have a patient with hypertension, they're taking ACE inhibitors, they're on a calcium channel blocker, their blood pressure is still high, they do an EKG, there's U-waves, which are the following conditions may be associated, and then on there is adrenal insufficiency, primary aldosteronism, um, we could say Addison's disease and secondary adrenal insufficiency, and you guys need to be able to either one, just know based on the vignette, or two, remember, you can always manufacture your way backwards to the answers. You look at the conditions and you say, okay, well, you know what, I'm kind of confused by this vignette, but 
I know that aldosteronism is too much aldosterone, so they're going to have high sodium, low potassium. Let me see this EKG. Do they have any signs of that? Oh, look, they have U-waves, maybe this one. Then you look at Addison's, and you're like, hey, they have low aldosterone. So they're going to have... They're going to have what? High potassium. And you're like, wait, I don't see PT waves in this EKG, so this is ruled out. So you can reverse engineer your way to the answer, or you can just get it if you know it from the vignette. But don't panic, and always try to work your way backwards, especially in endo with multiple choice. It's usually actually not that hard, as long as you don't freak out, right? And as long as, like I said in the beginning, this is why it's important to know fundamentally what these hormones do and what the negative feedbacks are, because then you can reverse engineer your way to the answer. If you don't know that part and you were memorizing stuff, you'll be like, you'll be stuck. So with lab testing, um, obviously if the problem is high aldosterone, you want to check your aldosterone levels. Um, the whole ROS system is initiated with the secretion of renin and ends in the secretion of aldosterone. So if you have high aldosterone, your renin is going to be low. So a renin to aldosterone ratio is the way that they use to diagnose this. They don't usually test you specifically on what ratio is diagnostic. Um, they want you to fundamentally understand the concept, but I've never been asked um, which of the following ratios is associated to aldosteronism and had to sit there and pick out 67 as the most likely to be. But obviously, the higher the ratio, the more likely it is that they have aldosteronism, and the lower, the less. All right? So if you have a patient with this, and the most common cause is an adrenal, um, adrenal hyperplasia, imaging study is going to be abdominal CT. These are things we've already talked about, multi-drug resistant uh, hypertension. So patients who are, um, so every time, anytime you see somebody who has a disease that is weird to have for their demographic, you also need to be worried about things that are not commonly causing that disease. An example of that is patients with alpha-1 antitrypsin that develop what? Emphysema, right? So if a young patient with emphysema, and you're like, oh, alpha-1 antitrypsin. A young patient with hypertension, you think about aldosteronism. Uh, real artery stenosis, pheochromocytoma, all these things that are not normally going to cause that in this patient demographic. All right. Obviously, family history um, of any of these conditions would raise your suspicion, but they're not going to give that to you in a test question, unfortunately. So you're going to have to live without that one. Complications, it's going to be all the complications associated to hypertension. I'm not going to test you on complications of this, um, except for the complications directly associated with the condition, like if any condition gives you hyper or hypokalemia, then yet you need to know those complications. But I'm not going to ask you guys about cardiovascular you know, complications of these, of these conditions. So treatment, um, if there is adrenal hyperplasia, Treatment would be removal of the adrenal gland. Hopefully, it's only one of them. You can just remove one of them, and that'd be great. Um, if it's a tumor, you can remove the solitary tumor and attempt to leave the rest of it intact. 
Um, but what you're really, really trying to treat too, as far as symptoms go, is the hypokalemia. The hypokalemia um, and also the fluid retention. So patients may be on diuretics, uh, but if they are on diuretics, you want to make sure it's a potassium-sparing diuretic. Spironolactone. Right. Spironolactone can't be used in pregnancy, and in pregnancy, you use a metaride. Yes, you need to know that. And yes, you will be tested on that in my class and in many other exams as well. A metaride. It's right there. What time is it? It's 2.38. You guys need a break? No. I think we're almost done anyway. So, pheochromocytoma. Pheochromocytoma is what? Have you guys studied this anywhere else before? It is a tumor in the medulla, usually. It's a catecholamine secreting tumor in the medulla of the adrenals. That you'll never see? You may see one. I've never seen one. <laughs> but you might. Um, so, obviously, if the patients are secreting catecholamines, you can expect all the associated fight responses. Um, so, patients are going to become tachycardic. They're going to start sweating. They're going to have palpitations. Their blood pressure is going to skyrocket. Um, so, these are all things that you would look for as far as symptoms go. The test that you use to diagnose this is urinary metanephrine. It's the most sensitive and specific test. Um, you can also do plasma. Plasma is fine. But urinary is the preferred test to do. Uh, it says normal TSH and T4 because you can also confuse this for what other condition that we talked about? Specifically, thyroid storm. Thyroid storm. Um, I guess aldosteronism a little bit, but it's just the hypertension, but a lot of the other symptoms aren't really there with the hyperaldosteronism, like the palpitations, the tachycardia, and all those things are not very common. But yeah, thyroid storm can be easily confused for pheochromocytoma. So anytime you have conditions that are easily confused, make sure you know really well how to differentiate them. But it's easy. It's, you, know, you get the TSH and you're good to go. So neuroendocrine tumor of the adrenal medulla which is what we talked about, uh, secreting epinephrine and norepinephrine, symptoms, tachycardia, hypertension. Um, yes, they're associated to men 2A and 2B. Where we talked about men 1 is pituitary, parathyroid, pancreatic, the three Ps. You carry over parathyroid, right? And then the last one, you add morphinoid body habitus. And if you got that, you got most of it. But 2A and 2B both have pheochromocytoma in association to them. So a lot of people who have pheochromocytoma, um, they don't necessarily have acute epi. So you can have a pheochromocytoma that's not actively secreting epi or norepi. So there's a lot of people who have them and they don't have a flare-up. But there's certain things that can cause it to start secreting. Um, if you mess with it and try to biopsy it, Sometimes that will cause uh, secretion. Uh, infections, contrast studies, contrast media, all these things can precipitate um, a crisis where they start overproducing. Okay. So there's a stupid rule 
that um, is associated to pheochromocytoma in our spirit tube. Um, and it's called the rule of tens, um, which is to tell you things that don't usually happen in the condition. Um, or you can just replace it, and, and I'm, I propose that they replace it with the rule of 90, um, which is that 90% of them are adrenal, 90% are unilateral, 90% are not familial, 90% affect adults, 90% are not malignant, 90% um, are not associated with men, and 90% of them don't present with stroke. Okay, um, But essentially, this rule, and I have been tested on this rule in the pants before, is to give you an idea of the things that present, or well, the things that don't present in the case of the rule of tens. Um, so yeah, usually they're unilateral. Um, they're um, they're not usually familial. Um, they typically occur in adults. They're not usually malignant, and they're not usually associated with men's Right. So uh, I'm not going to necessarily test you on the rule of ten, but uh, it's something that I would. It, it's just it's a lot of work to memorize this stuff for something that they're probably not going to ask you about. Um, and it doesn't have a lot of implications. And I would know the diagnosis, the treatment, um, the origin of it, and, and that type of thing. But the rule of 10, I don't think, is extremely important. So when patients do have an acute episode, or when they have a, when, if you precipitate a crisis of pheochromocytoma, uh, the most common symptoms, hypertension, followed by headache, perspiration, and palpitations. Uh, do you need to know which ones are more common? I, I don't think you do. Um, I just think you need to know all of the signs and symptoms and that they typically present in patients with this condition. Huh? So I don't need you to know the order of which one is more common in these patients, just the symptoms themselves. Okay. A sense of impending doom. That's me at baseline. <laughs> That's such a weird symptom. <laughs> Can you imagine asking that as part of your ROS? Do you have any sensations of impending doom? Huh? People would say that? Patients? Somebody talked to them before. Yeah. Somebody asked them. Somebody asked them yesterday if they had a sense of impending doom, and they woke up the next day and they're like, "No, I got a sense of impending doom." The same reason people have heart attacks in the morning, Monday morning, right before work. But I swear people say it, I swear, So obviously, guys, if you have um, if you have patients who have other risk factors, and there's a condition that can give them a very acute increase in blood pressure, that can cause um, uh, vasoconstriction, it's going to increase the risk of having episodes like MIs, strokes. Um, what else? Oh, obviously. If they have an aneurysm, it's going to increase the risk that this aneurysm, now that it's having um, more, um, I forgot what they refer to that as, but what do they, there's a specific term they love to use. Man, I can't remember it now. But anyway, more pressure on the aneurysm, um, something force or shredding or shearing or I don't know what it's called, but 
tearing for, I don't know. It's a specific word. You'll see it on Wash someday. But essentially, the idea is that it's causing increased force to the aneurysm, which can lead it to rupture or tear. Or if they have a dissection, it can start tearing, shearing force. There we go. That's what they call it. Yeah. So um, anytime you increase blood pressure, anytime you increase heart rate, anytime you uh, cause vasoconstriction, the shearing force is increased. So obviously, if these patients have any of these risk factors, during these attacks, um, they can they can have more complications associated to them. So lab testing, uh, urinary 24-hour metanephrines and catecholamines is the most accurate method for identifying pheochromocytoma. Um, I've had a, a lot of times with this particular point, people who've done questions in Roche and then they wanted in Roche, they wanted the plasma and they preferred the plasma. Um, so there's a little bit of this, uh, nuance there, um, but this is coming straight out of your textbook, which is what we're testing you guys on. So usually on the pants, when there's anything debatable like that, they won't give you both of them on the same answer choice. Um, in my test, you may get both of them on the same answer choice. So you're going with urine, 24-hour uh, metanephrine calicolamines. If the patient uh, ends up having these elevated, you then look for the tumor. Most of the tumors are, uh, you know, only 10% of the tumors are extra-adrenal. Um, so you're going to want to look for them in the adrenal glands because 90% of them are in the adrenal glands. All right? So your test of choice to localize the tumor is going to be a CT scan. Um, sometimes they ask you about patients who they do a biopsy on the tumor. And it's important to remember that after a biopsy of the tumor, you can precipitate a crisis associated to the tumor, all right? So if you go poking or prodding, you may, um, and that's not to say that you can't do a biopsy, you can, just know that this is a complication of the procedure, okay? If you do diagnose um, a pheochromocytoma, you should do genetic testing in the patient and their family members. Um, only 10% of them are familial though. So 90% of the time, doesn't have to do with it, but you still want to know because if that's the case, you want to be ready for it, right? right. So your differentials, very, very wide. Um, the only one that I think you guys need to be very, very well aware of is uh, monoamine antioxidase inhibitors, which you guys are going to learn about um, when we cover psych. Um, but these can produce, uh, when taken with certain foods, can produce a, a hypertensive crisis that presents a whole lot like pheochromocytoma. So a lot of times they'll put this as either a distractor or they'll put pheochromocytoma as a distractor for a question about monoamine uh, antioxidase inhibitors, all right? So that one's gonna be important. You'll probably cover that more in, um, when we go over site, but it is important and it's fair game for my exam also. As a distractor and as a problem in and of itself. So, yes. The medication? Yeah, yeah that's why nobody takes it. Like I've never known. That's why never, nobody takes it. Yeah. yeah. But the pants doesn't care if anybody takes it. The pants wants you to know why nobody's taking it. Yeah. The pants is kind of a dumb test. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? It is, right? 
I, well, I think all, like, you know, uh, but no, but I feel like uh, the, the USMLE, this is all recorded, this is terrible. It's all recorded. <laughs> the USMLE does a much better job, I think, in, in, in the way they build their, their questions and things like that um, to gauge your clinical thinking. Um, I feel like this is just like, you, could, you can get by just memorizing stuff, and I feel like people do all the time, you know? I don't know. You guys will see when you get there. It's personal pants. <laughs> so complications, we've already kind of talked about, but obviously uh, complications include any complications you'd expect in patients who have hypertension, uh, strokes, MIs, um, rupture of aneurysms, uh, internal bleeding, not necessarily related to heart or brain, but it can increase your risk of bleeds and ischemic events as well, both. Um, Arrhythmias, of course, so these are all associated complications with theochromocytoma. Cool. Treatment. Treatment is uh, a lot of times going to be removing the tumor, um, but usually you don't remove the tumor during an acute crisis. Um, you treat the acute crisis, you stabilize patient, and then patient does uh, surgery on an outpatient basis. It's not an emergent uh, surgery. In the acute setting, what you're doing is you're trying to control the symptoms, you're trying to decrease the heart rate, you're trying to bring down the blood pressure, uh, and the way that that's done is either with alpha blockers and calcium channel blockers, or beta blockers, or a combination. Uh, the way that they like to test you is that they, they don't want you to make the mistake of giving the patient a beta blocker before you give them an alpha blocker, okay? And they test that a lot because if you do that, um, you can have unopposed alpha stimulation, which can lead to too much constriction in the vessels, which can lead to worsening hypertension. So if you do not treat with an alpha blocker first, then you're going to have unopposed uh, constriction in the vessels, which leads to a hypertensive crisis so giving them a beta blocker before an alpha blocker can worsen the symptoms. And they will test you on that every day of the week. So know that. And do you need to know the name of the medications or am I gonna use alpha blockers? I can do both. And you guys already covered cardio stuff, so. I feel like that's super fair. It's the Zosins. I mean, come on. It's not that bad. Oh, you want the brand name too? This isn't farm. Okay, so a lot of tumors, um, a lot of tumors can come back. So most patients that are treated surgically and the tumors are successfully removed do very well with theochromocytoma, um, but you need to routinely monitor the patients um, because they can have regeneration of tissues and they can um, reproduce theochromocytoma and they can come back and they can develop symptoms. Not super common, but it can happen, so um, you do need to follow up with them uh, to make sure that that's not the case. I don't need you guys to know the retesting protocols because uh, it's an extremely uncommon condition and they never test you on retesting protocols. It does not happen. You will forget it and you will have to look it up. 
So don't worry about one to two weeks after surgery and at least six months for five years. And then once you're ready for life, um, you do not need to incorporate that into your brain. Um, if you diagnose a pheochromocytoma, I will be very proud of you in and of itself. Um, and then after that, there will be some endocrinologist who's managing this patient um, after you give them their alpha blockers and beta blockers and send them on their way. All right? Everybody needs to stay here so I can answer Ron's question. Everybody, she can't. She can't come up here and ask me this question one on one. Everyone needs to hear this. Wait, hold on, time out. Hey, we all there. All that matters is that you don't do beta before alpha. Yeah, alpha is going to be first. With or without calcium channel blockers, and then beta blockers you can add alpha.